Well, we're back again, and it's hard to believe that it's been over 50 days that our disruption took place, but we are plowing through this. There's uh, a light at the end of the tunnel, thankfully, as we anticipated, and uh, we're excited to be announcing some news, uh, hopefully within the next week or so, where we can get some detailed information out as to our reopening, reassembling plan. But church has not stopped because our time together has not stopped electronically and our time in the Word has not stopped. And I trust that you make these weekend worship videos and teaching videos part of your schedule, that this is part of the programming of church for you as you sit with your family or you spend time um, with those closest to you. Hopefully uh, you have a chance just to sit and say, this is our church time. This is our time to connect with our uh, church pastor, with the Word of God. And uh, I trust that today is another day that I hope not only helps you to long for us to reassemble, but uh, helps you to long for the ultimate of us uh, rejoining with Christ. That's the, the whole hope of the Christian life. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. Um, I've been prayerfully discussing the needs of our church uh, I don't like to preach non-sequential texts, but in this time, I found it to be uh, most helpful to think about the needs of our church and then to focus on preaching passages uh, throughout this uh, multi-week situation where we can address some of those needs more directly. So that's what we're going to do today, and I, I want to preach a sermon to you today, as best we can, sitting in a chair, uh, from Colossians chapter 3. So if you're taking notes, Colossians chapter 3, the first four verses. So Colossians 3, 1 through 4. And I've entitled the message, let's see, what did I call it? Recalibrating our minds, recalibrating our minds. So this is a little mental tune-up for us, and that's the goal. Now, instead of addressing a lot of the specifics of the detail of what we're going through, I want to step back and say, okay, let's think as Christians here for a little bit just about our relationship with God. So five points today. I've uh, been made it a habit to give you the forecast of how many points. So we're going to go through five things, which really are five questions. Uh, I want to know how you're doing, how you're doing spiritually. And these five questions, if we were sitting down in your living room talking about your spiritual life, I would know uh, a ton. I would know really everything I need to know about how you're doing right now in the midst of this craziness, just by hearing your answers to these five questions. So before we get into those, I want to take time to pray and uh, lead you in prayer, join our minds together uh, right now to ask God for a few things here that I think are critical during this phase as we move toward the plan to reassemble and as we look forward to getting back here, uh, unfortunately in a phased way, but I, I, I hope that there's some things we could join our hearts together with right now in together and um, really see some spiritual progress even in our praying. So pray with me, a little bit of time for us just to uh, talk to God together, so pray with me, please. God, we um, are weary and tired of this. I know I am. And I, I just ask you to minister to our hearts in this time as we uh, digitally together walk through these four super important verses. I think of how these verses have ministered to me through the years. I think early on in my Christian life, how um, just attracted to this passage I was and uh, what a refreshing thing it was for me to recalibrate my mind and uh, even in the midst of this pandemic to stop this week and have this passage uh, really refresh me in terms of where we need to be, retuning, refocusing, recalibrating my thoughts about you. And so I pray that would do that for many people, that for those that are listening and engaging in this study with me, that they would be refreshed, spiritually refreshed, 
and even uh, sharpened, uh, honed. I mean, when you sharpen something, uh, there's parts that have to be nicked off and things that need to be reshaped and uh, to make that tool effective. And God, we would like to be effective citizens in your kingdom. We'd like to be useful messengers for your gospel. We would like to be helpful in the body of Christ. And we know that means we need to have a, uh, a clear um, mind. We need to think rightly about things that are important to you. Uh, so that shaping, God, I pray would take place as we encounter your word, which itself, um, to mix this metaphor here, God, you know, is um, a sharp two-edged sword. It's like a sword. It, uh, it changes us. It sculpts us. It, it shapes us. So let the word of God, the sword of God's word, let it, um, let it reshape our hearts and our minds today. Uh, so God, we think of that verse that's over my shoulder as I teach through Second Peter, that um, we don't want to be conformed to the world. We want to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's why we spend time in the Word every day and in the mornings praying together, thinking about our one another uh, commandments and reading the Bible. And we want this weekend timed as we sit with your uh, Word. We want to uh, want to have our minds transformed. We don't want to be like the world. Uh, we can't dare to be like the world. We can't um, get bogged down in the things of the world. We need a uh, perspective that comes from you. So God, let us respond to these questions in our own hearts and minds with honesty and sincerity. We pray the prayer of Psalm 139 that you would uh, search us and try us and know us. See if there's any uh, wicked way in us. Lead us in the way everlasting. We want to be on the right path. We want to walk in step with your spirit. We want to keep the truth of your word in our lives. And we know that starts with uh, our minds being rightly conformed to your truth. So give us a good study here today and let this be a rich time in your word as we think through these five questions in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I really do hope that you can look at this text and these questions with an honest, sincere, objective, dispassionate kind of look at your own life. And so I invite you to take your Bibles, if you haven't already, turn to Colossians chapter 3. I've got five questions, two from the first verse, and then uh, every verse thereafter will round this out with five things to ask us, um, allow the Word to get us to ask these questions. So uh, let me read it for you first. This is obviously Paul's letter to the Colossians, and he starts with this word, if. If then you've been raised up with Christ, and he said so much, of course, even about that concept of being raised up with Christ and having died with Christ and um, a judicial sense, a, a theological uh, sense. And so the if is more the more like a, a sense, um, but it's still stated as an if, and that's important for us to catch. We want to ask this question of ourselves. It really forces us in the reading of the text to answer that question. Uh, are we raised up with Christ? So uh, if then you have been raised up with Christ, then seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, there's that picture of the majesty on high, the, uh, the regal son seated next to the Father with all authority and dominion and power, uh, having done his work, unlike the high priests of the Old Testament who could never sit down. Here's Christ sitting down. He's done with his work. He's not always uh, sacrificing to uh, ceremonially atone for the sins of the people. He's done his work. He sacrificed himself as Hebrews says, to clear us of the debt of our sin. Verse 2, and set your minds on the things that are above, on things that are above, not on the things 
not on things that are on earth. Um, for you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You need to understand that phrase. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So let me read that again without any breaks. Colossians 3.1. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We need this verse. We need this passage. We need these questions. And I want to, as I stated, as I read it with that first word in our English text, if for us to ask that question, and it's a good question to ask. I mean, have we been raised with Christ? I put it this way. Are you certain of your regeneration? If you're taking notes, jot that down. Are you certain of your regeneration. And I want to word it that way, regeneration, because that's the big word. I mean, that's a big theologically important word. And it's a word that, uh, put it this way, it separates the men from the boys in terms of alliance with Christ. In other words, remember back in the day, there was a time when people talked, and maybe they still do, uh, about, well, you, you're a Christian? Oh, good. You, you're not, you know, a Buddhist or a Mormon That's or, or a, uh, a Muslim or whatever you might be. Um, and that's the category that they think of, okay, you're a Christian, you're not those other religions. But then they would ask you, well, you're not one of those born-again Christians, are you? Um, regeneration means born again, right? Regeneration, genos, to, 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 to be born. Uh, when we talk about the doctrine of regeneration, we're talking about someone who's been born again. And of course, that all comes from uh, John chapter 3. Let me read that for you. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, whenever he says that, repeats that phrase, it's the Greek word, amen, um, amen, amen, for sure. This is so important. This, this is true. It's right. Truly, truly, I say to you, making a very strong point, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So when someone talks about, are you a Christian? Are you a born again Christian? Um, that's like the all in. That's the people that are, you know, fanatical about it. These are the Jesus freaks. These are the people that, you know, care most about God. Well, that's the only kind of Christian there is, right? There's, there's not varsity Christianity and freshman Christianity. There's only, there's only this kind of Christianity, the kind that changes who we are from the inside out. John three, of course, is that debate um, or discussion, I should say, dialogue between Nicodemus, the Pharisee, and Jesus, and he chides him that he doesn't know these things. Uh, that you have to be born again. And the idea is who you are in the inside of who you are. It's not right. Uh, he's really alluding to with this concept of being born of water and spirit, uh, that the changing of our lives, it refreshes and, and cleanses everything on the inside. Uh, it's the picture from Ezekiel of, uh, of being washed in water. It's not baptism. It's not the ritual of baptism or the ordinance of baptism. This has to do with the idea of the cleansing of regeneration of the heart that you have inside of you no longer being stained with sin. As a matter of fact, the Ezekiel passage goes even further, like Jeremiah, to talk about the fact that our hearts need to be changed. Uh, it speaks of the fact that our heart was like stone. It was dead before God, but now it's alive. And that picture of being having a heart of flesh, it's such an interior description of a new life. And that's the question we need to ask ourselves. In the midst of all of this, and just as a person living, if there had never been a COVID-19 pandemic, this, the question is, is, is always relevant. And it's one we should always stop 
to ask ourselves, are we sure that we are God's child? Are we born again? Turn your Bibles to Ephesians, and I just want to walk through this real quick. There's no better passage, I think, to kind of detail the change of regeneration in terms of what it looks like, who we were, who we are, and how that happens. So let's look at the first 10 verses, if we've got time here to walk through these 10 verses to think about this question. And I want to say to you as you read these passages with me, is, is this true of you? Has this happened to you? Can you see the difference between the then, before Christ, and then the now, and then the way you got there? That's basically the testimonial outline. As a matter of fact, when we go through uh, partners, we take people through the discipleship manual here at the church, we have them write out their testimony, and we talk about those three things. We put them in this order. What was your life like before? What happened you know, in your life? That change, that, that regeneration, that perspective as a human being from your perspective, what happened, and then what has come since then. And so this passage lays out uh, this way, canonically, in the text, it talks about the then and then the now and then how it happens. Uh, so those elements should be a part of everyone's life. Everyone needs a testimony, right? a story of what happened to them. Uh, the then part, the what happened, and then the now part. That ought to be very contrast, like a bow tie. In the middle, there's that encounter with Christ. And, and on either side, these are different, uh, symmetrical in the sense that I was this way, and then on this side, now I'm this way, and they stand in stark contrast with each other. Um, that's the picture. All right, let's read a little bit of this. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That's the idea of having no relationship with God. It's like the heart of stone. There's no connection. There's no vibrancy. There's no real connection to God. If you have God in your life, it's in your head. It's not who you are from the interior of your person. You're the same old person you were, but you may have had information about God, but you were dead to God, dead because of your trespasses and your sins. Those things separated you from God, Isaiah 59, 2. Um, in which you once walked, verse 2, you lived that way. You followed the course of this world. You did what people did in the world, what they expected of you. And you followed, this is the eerie part, the prince of the power of the air, right? The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Now, there's something at work in Christians, and then there's something in, at work in non-Christians. And that's a stark contrast. The, the polarization, the dichotomy of the two groups that exist. You're either a child of God, as John says in 1 John, or you're a child of the devil. As hard as that is for us to kind of hear, there's nobody in between. You know, you think you're your aunt or your cousin, anything. Oh, they're a pretty good person. They're not Christian, but or they're Christian in name, but they're not born again. They're not interior, they're not changing the interior of their lives. Um, but the Bible's very clear. You you can only have one kind of Christianity, and the kind of Christianity that you have stands in contrast to, to this. This is the only other option. The prince of the power of the air, that's the spirit that's in work at work in the sons of disobedience. That's what characterizes their life. Among whom we all once lived. Now, Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was someone conforming to a lot of external standards of, of, of morality. Um, but he says, we're all there. We all lived in the passions of our flesh. We did what we felt was right. right? We were our own gods in so many ways, even though we adhere to certain things that we want to adhere to, systems and you know, constructs and, 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 and traditions. But he says, we were all there. He includes himself in this. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature, naturally, 
children of wrath. We were going to incur God's judgment, like the rest of mankind. It doesn't matter if you're a religious person. Um, if you're not born again, if you don't have a new interior life, then you're not a Christian. The, the difference now, verse 4, the change. Uh, but God, being rich in mercy, he's kind to sinners like us, because of the great love with which he loved us, a purpose to do good to us, to change um, our status, right? That, that, that's, that's a commitment to our well-being. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, even though it was as bad as it was, he made us alive together with Christ. That picture of who we are is like that Old Testament prophecy of the heart that now is going to have a responsiveness to God. It's not just here. It's not just thinking about God. It's not just trying to shape my thoughts about God. It's having an interior life that's changed. It's having a, a Christianity, as I often say, from the inside out that exudes from my interior, that now my life is different. So struggle, obviously. Uh, the flesh is always fighting. There's a waging of war we've talked about. But something's changed on the inside. God has reached out and changed who we are. And it's by grace. He made that clear just even in verse 4. This is God that's doing these things and changing us. And has that he has that encounter with us. By grace you've been saved. That means you didn't earn it. You were raised up with him. And, and he seated us with him in the heavenly places. So here's the picture of the resurrection. And this judicial kind of connection to... Jesus, and now as he was raised from the dead, we're raised from that dead position before God. We're raised up and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, which is really an unpacking of what we're studying here in our passage in Colossians. Uh, so that, verse 7, in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's the future focus of the Christian life as we'll get to in our passage. For by grace you've been saved. Now here's how it all happens, right? Through faith. I now have a real trust, pistuo or pistis, the noun here in Greek is the idea of, of putting my confidence and my reliance on something, uh, not believing it in my mind just as a fact, but going beyond that and putting my confidence and trust into Christ. And this is not of your own doing. You don't earn it. It's the gift of God. You, you, can't, you can't achieve it. It's got to be given to you. It's not, as a, not, a, not a result of works, right? Couldn't be any clearer than that so that no one may boast. No one can say, look what I did. I, I accomplished this by living a good life. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now we're back to this changed life. What does it look like? God's got a series of good things for us to accomplish with God, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So there's the contrast. If you look at the, we call it a chiastic arrangement of, of that idea of we walked in this sinful rebellion against God Right? We walked in the course of this world, following it, doing what the rest of the world does, and then God changes us so that we walk in this prescribed set of good works that he's laid out for us. I don't know. I, I just want to ask you to consider the certainty of that in your life. Is that where you are? Do you know for certain that you your life has been changed? And of course, could open up a whole long discussion on the gospel because... We need to know the gospel. We need to understand that we have a sin problem, that Christ has come to solve that sin problem, that he lived the life that we were not able to live, that Christ suffered the penal judicial payment for the sin that I committed before God, and that 
through that transaction of redemption, I am now counted as worthy before God. Um, that's what all other religions just fail to have. Really, they don't have it. I was talking today about uh, more uh, Islam with someone. The idea of um, there's no mechanism of redemption. Redemption is all induced by my own works and God's mercy. And we need that second person of the Godhead to be that redeemer for us. And um, so I want to make sure that you are sure. I want you to ask the question of yourself, have I been raised with Christ? And that means, do I have this now new status before God that has been unpacked here in Ephesians chapter 2? And if so, right, then we're in a good spot to be able to read the rest of this. Okay, if that's true, then we can do this. Middle of verse 1, back to Colossians 3. If then you've been raised up with Christ, right, then you ought to do this. You ought to seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So question number one, are you certain of your regeneration? The big word, are you born again from the inside out? Number two, right, the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Of course, this is all spatial analogies. God, you know, which direction is he? That's not the point. The point is that he is not here on this world, not personally, right? His toenails and eyelashes and elbows are somewhere else. The Spirit of God is here, so God is here. And in that sense, Christ is with us even to the end of the age. But he's not in this world. Right? He's not the prince of the power of the air now, right? The, the enemy is. So we live as, 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 as aliens, expatriates. We're not, this is not our home. And that idea should lead us to the question, if we're supposed to keep our minds and set our, our, our lives on the things that are above, right? Seek the things that are above with our own heart, this interior heart that's been changed. Well, then I need to ask the question, is Christ really my most important priority? Number two, is Christ your most important priority? And you can think about all the things that can capture people's attention and the things that they work so hard for, the things that they really want to achieve. I'm not talking about the fact that you don't go to your work or have things in your family that you want to accomplish, but I'm saying, what do you really live for? Right? It, ultimately, in eternity, it's not about your kids. It's not about your marriage. It's not about your hobbies. It's certainly not about your jobs. Right? Even my job is not, not about these things. It's about the things that we can do in the context of family and jobs that is going to result in something that glorifies Christ, that Christ would want us to accomplish. So in that sense, the question is, are, am I seeking those things? That's a whole heart kind of calling. Am I really prioritizing Christ. And because it says the things that are above where Christ is, of course, Christ is the object, but everything that goes with that. I could really ask the question this way, is Christ your most, is Christ and Christianity your, your most important priority, right? And, and by that, I mean, everything that Christ taught, everything that Christ is about, is that really our priority? A couple of passages to jot down um, from Matthew chapter six. Matthew six, when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, pray then like this, our Father who is in heaven. Again, there's that picture. He's not here, right? And I understand the omnipresence of God, and I understand the connection that we have with this, the Spirit of God, the third person of the Godhead, but there's something there, right? Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name, holy be your name. Your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven. This idea of praying for the coming kingdom, praying for God to appear, which is what verse 4 of Colossians 3 says. We want that as our prayer. If I'm ever going to seek the things that are above, i got to be praying for the things above. i got to be praying for that, that kingdom, that rule, that administration of Christ having things the way that he wants them. 
I want that. I want to pray for that. I want to think about that. I want to think about the otherness of it, right? The fact that he's there and is going to bring that there to here. And it starts with that. If my mind is going to be, and my heart is going to be, and my life is going to be prioritizing those things, I got to pray that way. And then I got to seek it. Matter of fact, uh, you might have turned there or looked it up, but at the end of that chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, after talking about the distinction of the people in the world going after all kinds of things, more on that in a minute, he says, but you, right, but, but seek, there's an implied you, but y'all seek first the kingdom of God. Okay, that needs to be your ultimate priority, which again is about the king. It's Christ, right, where Christ is. He's there seated at the right hand of the Father. He is the one to whom all authority and all of our attention and all of our focus should be ultimately and all the things that go with this, the, all the things that go with it. And, and so that's encapsulated in the phrase, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I want to live that out now. I want the will of God to be done through me uh, on earth as it is in heaven, right? And then all these other things, they'll be taken care of. They'll be added to you. The other things in the passage are, what am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? Right? I'm going to have enough money to do this or that. So the obedience to this passage, to answer the question, yes, Christ is my most important priority, is never going to be the case if your prayer life stinks, if you are not praying for the future coming kingdom, if you don't recognize the superior priority of those things, the things that are eternal, that old line that is often used, and perhaps it was Jim Elliott that said it about, you know, he's no fool, right? To lose what he cannot keep, to gain what he can't lose. That's the idea of the kingdom. What would a prophet a man, Jesus said, if he gained the whole world, but forfeited his soul. The soul, the spirit, the interior of someone who goes to the next realm, if you got everything here, what does that matter? Just based on the temporal nature of it. The whole book of Ecclesiastes is trying to ask that question. What, what good would that be? It would be vanity, vanity, right? All would be vanity. It would be useless under the sun to do all of that stuff. And it's temporal. And, and all of my works and all of the stuff of this earth, it wouldn't make any sense uh, because there's something eternal and that ought to be our focus. So is Christ your most important priority? And I just wanted to add this passage, if I could have you turn there real quick. Psalm 62. If I'm going to think about developing that relationship with God and, and having my focus be clearly on Him uh, as the priority of my life, which doesn't mean you have to be a missionary or a Bible translator or a, a pastor, right? You understand this. This is about me seeing that this is what really matters. A hundred years from now, that's what matters. Um, then you do it with things like this. Psalm 62, verse 5. You try and get to the place where you can have this be the, the true statement of you. For God alone, O my soul, right? Wait in silence. I'm ready to say that's what quiet times are all about in the morning. That's what prayer times are about. She's like, I, I, I wait for you. You're the priority. You're the thing. For my hope is in him. You're the ultimate hope. Everything you have is going to go away. Your health, your relationship, your money, this world, you won't be here anymore. So my hope is in him. For he only, look at the exclusivity of this, is my rock and my salvation. This is Psalm 62, 6. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. I mean, that is a great depiction of kind of what we're doing when we get our minds calibrated in the mornings 
and we pray and we spend time in silence and quiet and we open his word and we read it. That's just such a great line. Now, look at verse 8. Trust in him at all times, O people. Now the psalmist looks out. Hey, you need to pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge to us or for us. Um, Selah. That great, uh, Selah, by the way, that pause, it's a musical notation, probably means there's some kind of interlude or a pause or what have you. But the picture of pouring out our hearts, of praying, of being able to get to the place where I see that there's no other hope. Uh, as Asaph said, the, you know, the, um, there's nothing on earth I desire, right, besides you. Right? My, my heart, my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Um, what else do we really have if we don't have God? And that needs to be the thing that our heart is seeking above all else. So verse one, two questions, right? Are you certain of your regeneration? And if you can answer yes, we're sitting in your front room. You say, yeah, Pastor Mike, I, I, I'm certain of that. And then number two, I say, well, is Christ your most important priority? Really wouldn't matter about your health, your finances, your relationship. I mean, so far we're off to a good start. Well, then the contrast, it's almost like a repeat here. I think there is a distinction between just that whole life seeking the things that are above. Now it says, set your minds on things above. But I think that whole statement is there not just to be repetitive, although repetitive is reinforcing, but look at the bottom of verse two, not on things that are on earth. There's the real point of verse number two is you've got to contrast the things that you'll see in everyone else as they're focusing and chasing after all these things. Matter of fact, that should take me back to that passage in um, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 said, seek first the kingdom of God. And it starts with a contrastive conjunction, but seek first. Why? Because here's what the verse says in front of it. For the Gentiles seek after all these things. That's a strong word. They're pursuing it. They're going hard after it. But your heavenly father knows you need them. So there's stuff between now and my death that I need. I'm going to need uh, I'm gonna need food for the weeks out. I'm going to need some sleep tonight. I'm going to need some water to drink. I'm going to need friendships and connections. I need all of those things. Um, but God knows what I need. What I need to do is to be passionate about the things of God. And that means I'm going to make a decision about whether or not the things of this world are going to consume me. Um, and so I just put it this way. The question is, is your number three, is your temporal life too much of your focus? Is your temporal life too much of your focus? Um, and I know people right now that are struggling with anxiety and they're struggling with fear and all the things, and we've got new pressure points in our lives that may bring all that to the surface. But the only reason I'm going to fear and be anxious and have those problems is because my focus is all about this life. And, and again, too much of your focus. And, and I know there's a certain amount of focus we got to give to our lives. Um, and that's why the contrast in Matthew 6, 33 is seek first the kingdom. This is the priority. And all I'm saying is you got to think about that contrast and think, okay, what is it about my life? Is, is there too much real concern about this? I, I said today earlier on something I was on just that, you know, am I, uh, you know, am I concerned about the issues that relate to our health and, you know, all the things that people are freaking out about right now. And I'm like, I can honestly say I'm, I'm not, I don't fear that right now. And, and I think that's just the standard. There's no extra credit for that. That's the standard Christian concern. 
um, or, or response to his concern. The concern is on things that last beyond this life. My focus should be, the value should be, and the things that are unseen in this world, because those things are eternal. The things that are seen, those things are temporal, as Paul said to the Corinthians. So we need to make sure we're not focusing too much on this life. And that contrast in uh, Matthew 6, if you're still there, um, if you go up earlier in verse 24, he says you can only serve one master. You only have one ultimate priority. He says, because you're either going to hate the one and love the other, or you're going to be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And, uh, of course, money will buy you a lot of things, can even buy you good health care and a lot of other things. So it relates to so much um, in our lives. Matter of fact, if you look at the um, footnote on that in your ESV, it'll make it clear that the Greek word is mammon which has to do with the stuff of life, the stuff that you have, possessions. It can be more than just money in the bank account. And so you're either going to love this stuff here or you're going to love the stuff that's going to matter for eternity. And I'm just trying to get us to think, listen, how do you do with the things of this world? And I guess it should take us back up further in Matthew 6 by telling you um, what Jesus said, and that is you've got to stop laying up treasures on on earth. He says, do not do it. And it's not that you can't have some money in the banks, not that you can't have, you know, a car with an air conditioning or, you know, whatever. This is not about you having things that you need to utilize in this world. It's about that laying up of those things. It's about you saying, this is my priority. And too often, the things of this world, the mammon of the world, the money of the world, the resources of the world, the possessions of our lives, they end up being things that capture us. And he says, don't do it. He says, because you can do it here, make this your ultimate concern and your focus, or you make your focus there. And he says, if you've got it there, you've got something permanent that can't be messed with, can't be stolen, can't be molested in any way, but things here can. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this is all about us making sure we have a proper disconnection with the concerns of this life. There's a lot of things that go wrong in our lives, and I just don't want us to fret about those. Um, yeah, I mean, if you get a cut, put a bandaid on it. If you have a problem, try and fix it. If you've got a need coming up, yeah, you should probably save some money to deal with that need. But these are not things that are consuming our hearts and our minds. Now, they just happen to be things we have to deal with. Um, Paul says, who has everything before his conversion, at least that the world thought a person should have. And he says, whatever I had gained, I'm quoting now Philippians 3, 7, He said, I counted them as lost for the sake of Christ. So in a real sense, he's giving up all these earthly concerns. He said, I've counted everything a loss because of the surpassing worth and value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The focus of Christ and Christianity, he says, has become the thing that put everything in a distant second. Everything pales by comparison. Am I concerned that I stay healthy? Sure, Um, but it pales by comparison. Should you be concerned that you you know, have a decent retirement account. Well, yeah, I guess, but it's there's nothing catastrophic about not having these things, right? God is going to put the treasure of our lives, the focus of our lives becomes the, the real feeding of our heart, the fuel of our heart. And if your heart is fueled on things that are eternal, the other stuff, it just, it does not make us fret or be concerned the way that so many people seem to be right now. Uh, matter of fact, you want it in a stronger term. Paul said this, I quote this often, Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. Uh, he said, far be it for me to boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, that's the 
epicenter of the gospel that he's preaching. I mean, it's all about Christ. It's all about preparing for eternity. So much of Christianity today tries to redefine Christianity to be about the here and now. It's about then and there. And he says, by which, the cross of Christ, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And that's just a proper kind of disconnection from all the things that can weight us down. Where's your treasure? Where's your heart? Where's your concern? As I put it in this question, where's your focus? How much of your focus is here? How much of your focus is there? Um, I had some friends in the church that still here after many, many years. I've been their pastor. And I remember when they bought a house and uh, it was a big purchase for them and they were getting it ready and there was some lag time. They had to have the old owners move out and they went and they rented an apartment. I think we were in that very apartment complex, if I remember correctly. And um, so they lived in this apartment complex that we lived in. And yet they had a house that was about three, four miles away at the most. And they got a lease, a short-term lease for like three months or something. Um, and I, I thought, well, that's a perfect example of Christian life. The only difference is they knew when they were moving out and we don't know when we're moving out. But how they treated that apartment, right, is certainly the analogy of how we ought to treat the concerns of this life. Um, did they lock the door? Well, sure they did. But did they worry about beefing up the locks on their door and getting the ultimate? No, because they've got a house and it's being built, or in that case, it was already built, but it was being remodeled or replenished or refurbished. And you know, they, they, that was their house. They sunk all their money into that. This was just a temporary place to live. You know, did they put a few things on the wall for those three months? Of course they did. They put a nail up and they hung some things up. Is it the kind of things that they wanted permanently on the hallway as their kids ran down the hall and grew up for the next 20 years? No, that's not what they wanted. What they didn't really care so much about it. Just throw something on the wall. It's okay. It doesn't matter. Uh, did they, you know, arrange things in the house the way they wanted? Well, sure, but they didn't freak out if it wasn't quite right. You get my analogy. They invested in their apartment to a very reasonable level, but nothing freaked them out. And then we're down the way, not knowing any idea when we're going to get out of our apartment complex and trying to make it just perfect, right? And all I'm saying is there's so many Christians that seem to act like we're not moving out of this apartment. You're moving out of this apartment. If you are a Christian, you're moving into a much better place. God has prepared a place for you. And what matters is that you focus on that. And you realize that we are in a short-term place. Sometimes it feels like a really nice apartment. And sometimes it feels like a mobile home. But... None of that should get you down because we know what's coming soon is the kingdom of God. He says in verse number three, back to Colossians three, he said, uh, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, commentators struggle sometimes at trying to figure out what Paul was getting at. You're hidden in Christ. Um, but I really believe as I've studied this passage that um, this has to do with the concept of security, right? You've died, your old life is gone. And in terms of how God saw you before, he doesn't see you that way anymore. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. God has in his relationship with you. So as Paul said in Galatians, clothed you in Christ, that you are, you're, you're hidden in Christ. It's like, the, it's a cocoon. It's like you're wrapped in Christ. And so the father can't even look at you without, looking at Christ, so to speak, right? He can't see you. He can't consider you apart from Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. The connection that you have that matters is your citizenship in heaven. And what is coming in verse number four, the fifth question I'm going to ask you 
is about that coming kingdom. But right now, your your life is is wrapped in Christ, and that there's a security in that. And and I know if you answered the first question, you know, are you sure you're regenerate? You go, well, yeah, that that's great. Um, I know that I've become a Christian. Well, then I would say this is kind of a, a follow up to that because of this concept of being hidden. Um, I would ask it this way: Do you have a sense of your security? in Christ? And do you have that sense? Is there such an alliance that you sense even in your sanctification as you grow in Christ, as you pour your heart out to God, as you see him as your ultimate priority, as you um, treasure him as your refuge and your your rock and what matters and his kingdom, those things you can't see now that, that are the eternal things. Um, does that bring you that sense of security? Um, is there doubting in your life? I mean, you really got to wage war against doubting if doubting is a part of your Christian life. Um, if you know that you're regenerate, if you've made Christ your priority, if you really have ratcheted back your earthly focus, that you're not all wrapped up and concerned about what the Gentiles run after, chase after, then I would say, make sure there's no doubt. You're chasing the doubt away, to reuse that word, to, to vanquish that in your life. That you say, God, I need to get rid of it because I trust your promises. Doubting, unfortunately, is so easily used by the enemy to um, discourage us and to derail us and to de detour us. And I would just say you've got to recognize um, there's something seriously wrong in our thinking and our theology when we keep getting haunted by doubt. Now, I understand we're going to be tempted in a lot of ways, but I need you to face those temptations of wanting to doubt and to recognize my theology is not right if I'm doubting. To be hidden in Christ right? That picture of being in that sense of, 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 of wrapped in him, hidden with Christ in God, um, should leave me with none of that doubt in the Christian life. Um, I thought I'd have more time. It always goes so fast. But first, first Peter chapter 1 talks about the guarantee of what's coming. Blessed be the God and Father, verse 3, First Peter 1 of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercies, caused us to be born again to a living hope. I just like that it's vibrant, it's real, it's, it's not dead, it's, it's, it's ever present. It makes itself known through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. So the past confirmation is Christ's physical bodily resurrection to an, to an inheritance. We have this now, this is our hope. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. All those things are super helpful to think about, yeah, I've got a house that's being built and I am in a temporary dwelling and I'm absolutely sure about that. It's imperishable, undefiled, it's unfading. It's the things that matter where thieves can't break in and steal it and rust can't destroy it and moths can't eat it up. And then it says this, last phrase of verse four, kept in heaven for you. It's kept there. It's protected. It's not going away. It's, it's guarded as some translations say, it's reserved in heaven for you. Who, by your power, now if you're reading along with me, that's not what it says, for who by God's power are being guarded through faith, through your trust, for a salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. It's ready to break out. It's ready to happen. It's going to come. And in this you rejoice. Even though now, for a little while, if necessary, verse 6 says, you've been grieved by various trials. And some of us have them now more than we've had in the past so that the tested genuineness of your faith, I know I'm trusting him, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by the fire, 
may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, right? None of us have laid our eyes on the physical Christ. You love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him, you trust in him, and rejoice with a joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. It's a great passage. That's a good one to contemplate those verses right there, 3 through 9 in 1 Peter 1. The joy that many of us lack in the midst of hard times, the um, inability to be able to have that strong, confident faith is because we are not taking this battle with doubting seriously. Um, If I were to promise you something and you were to just keep questioning whether or not that thing that I've said to you is true, it's an insult to me. And, and it's an insult to God when we don't believe what he says. He says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive your sins, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He's been very clear about the promises to those who put their faith in him. And we've got to believe those things. So I want you to have that sense of security that your life is wrapped up with Christ and God. It's not like you've signed a paper and you're hoping that you're going to get in one day. It's like you are so out of this world already in God's mind that you are hidden with Christ in God. So do you have a sense of security in Christ? Yeah, there's just so much there we could say, but let me ask the last question to hasten on. It's been long enough, hasn't it? Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. When Christ who is your life appears, when he arrives, when he shows up, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's a great text, isn't it? When he appears... Um, when he appears, then I'm going to appear with him in glory. Well, let's say he appears next week. Uh, I'm here, right? How am I going to appear with him in glory? Well, that's the whole point of this analogy, that I am already judicially so much his that I'm in him. I'm wrapped up and hidden in Christ. Now, when he comes, it's like, bam, everything that I am legally, judicially, everything I am as a child of God, it just all gets to be seen for what it is. As 1 John 3 says, right? What we will be is not yet known, right? I'm a child of God, I am, but what we will be, you haven't fully seen that yet. But when he appears, right? Then that, then the reality is, is gonna, gonna, gonna start. The reality of who I really am, the fact that I'm a child of God, that I'm not just the refuse of the world, as Paul said about Christians and how people view us, um, I'm going to be like him because I'm going to see him as he is. So I would just say this. Are you sincerely, number five, are you sincerely anticipating Christ's return? Do you have a sense that when he appears, then you appear? When he's here, it's not like he's breaking into your earthly plans and, you know, even just the concept of rescuing you. If Christ were to come back for his church tomorrow, do you feel like, yeah, now my life is what it is? what it's been all about. Now the priority, that kingdom that I've been praying for to come, now it all happens. It's here. It is the the happy hope, to use the word of Titus chapter 2, the blessed hope. It says, the grace of God has appeared to bring salvation for all people, all kinds of people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. The distinction, right? We're not of this world. Waiting for our blessed hope. That's the word happy, that happy hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We're already his possession. We're already hidden with Christ in God. 
And now when he appears, everything's going to be what we'd hoped for, the resolution of all of our hope. Um, I hope that's the case for you, that you were sincerely anticipating the return, not just because life got hard in the last couple of months, uh, not just because you lost your job and it'd be great if you could be with God, uh, not just because there's issues or problems, or not just because it would be better to be with him, but because you really, this is all that you have seen yourself to be, your self-identification is that you are a child of God, that you are his, that you've been raised up with Christ. I would encourage you to sincerely anticipate the return of Christ. Five questions, right? Are you certain of your regeneration if you've been raised up with Christ? Are you seeing Christ and Christianity as your most important priority? Is Christ your most important priority? Right? Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Is your temporal life too much of your focus? Right? Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. And then question four, do you have a sense of your security in Christ that you're confident that really your life here, that's not it. You've died. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. And then lastly, are you sincerely anticipating Christ's return? When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I think it was in Bible school when I saw this car pull into the parking lot and it had two bumper stickers on the back of the trunk on each side of the license plate. And on the one side, I don't think these bumper stickers, by the way, were meant to be read together. But the one on this Christian guy's bumper, it said, uh, it said, Jesus is coming, exclamation point. I thought, oh, there's a guy, you know, cares about, prays for the coming kingdom. This guy's looking forward to the return of Christ. And I looked at his license plate. He's from Wisconsin. And on the other side, he had a bumper sticker and it said, escape to Wisconsin. So... I read these two bumper stickers together, right? Jesus is coming, escape to Wisconsin. And I thought, I don't think he intended for me to see it that way, right? Um, there's no escaping the return of Christ by being in Wisconsin. I think Christ's second coming plan certainly include Wisconsin. Um, but it was interesting to see kind of that dichotomy, right? The idea of Hey, escape to Wisconsin. I mean, there's real life. There's happiness. There's Wisconsin's so great. Uh, but Christ is coming, right? You really got to pick your side of the bumper there and say, I'm going to live here or I'm going to live here. Um, I'm going to see my life and my joy and everything in this thing, whatever it is of this life. Might just be, might just be your state or your home. It could be your job. It could be your relationship. It could be your kids. It could be your family life. Or you're going to say, no, 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 what I'm really all about is that Jesus is coming. And if that's the case, all of this fits together. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. You've died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's recalibrate our minds on those verses today. Let's pray. God, help us all to think clearly about who we are in Christ and what you're bringing to us when your son is dispatched to get the church. We look forward to that day. May it be soon. May our hearts be ready and excited to meet the Lord in the air and forever be with the Lord. God, let that be the reality of the real palpable desire of our heart every day. Let it grow stronger day after day in Jesus' name. Amen.